0: You're listening to Impulse to Innovation. The Institution of Mechanical Engineers podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Helen Meese. As a global community of mechanical engineers, with over 120,000 members in 140 countries, the Institution of Mechanical Engineers has been at the heart of the engineering profession since 1847. The institution's mission is to improve the world through engineering by sharing the latest news, views, and insight into the creative world of technology and the people that make it happen. This month, I'm taking a break from the podcast as I hand over the reins to the IMAKey's young members. Chartered Engineer and IET Young Engineer of the Year Award winner Ying Wan Low will be your host as she explores engineering careers at the COVID crossroads.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by the IMechE's Young Members Board. The Young Members Board represents the interest of all the 69,000 young members of the IMechE, working to ensure that a young member's voice is heard and considered in all areas of the institution. The Young Members Board represents a broad cross-section of members, from membership accreditation to industries and specialisms to geographical location. And when we say young member, we really mean those recently qualified, regardless of age. There's even a young member in the 80s. We wanted to use this episode of podcast to focus on engineering careers in the context of COVID-19. In particular, we will explore challenges and opportunities for young graduates and new workers, how to mitigate the impact of furlough and unemployment. And finally, some tips for those who are currently employed, but thinking of other opportunities ahead. My name is Ying Guan Lo. I'm a Chartered Engineer and the Professional Development Standards Committee Rep on the IMACI Young Members Board. Today, I'm joined by three guest speakers. Our first guest, Alan Carroll, is the Director of Stratus Search and Recruitment. He has been working in recruitment for over 20 years across a variety of sectors and specialised in technical safety and human factors recruitment for industries including energy, rail and defence. Our second guest, Amar Gohil, has a graduate role at WMG, He works in research focusing on GPS emulation, autonomous vehicle platforms, and simulation. He's also doing a part time master's in automotive technology. Finally, our third guest, Matthew Laske, is the chair of the IMECI Scottish Region and Director of Project Engineering Management Limited, where he provides engineering and training consultancy throughout the UK, including a number of courses with the IMECI training team. Welcome, Alan, Amar, and Matthew. Let us start off by looking at the challenges and opportunities faced by fresh graduates and new workers. According to an Engineering UK survey, 6 out of 10 young people surveyed felt that finding a job in the future would become more difficult. And half of 15 to 19-year-olds said going to university would be more difficult. Despite this, an IET survey has shown that the perception of an engineering career has improved over lockdown, partially inspired by the work engineers have done to help the society during the crisis. In addition, a PWC report highlighted that engineering is one of the areas that still experience hard-to-fill vacancies at a professional level, even after COVID-19. Now let's delve deeper into that. Okay, Alan, what do you think about this and how do you think COVID-19 will change recruiting practices?
2: I think clients are in a now a situation where the, the whole COVID-19 pandemic has, has given them food for thought around A, making sure that they're keeping their employees, current employees, busy enough um, and viable. Um, And new recruits, um, there's a lot of, uh, I suppose, caution around taking on new people because no one really can foresee or forecast what's going to happen over the next few months, let alone next few years. Um, So it has had quite a dramatic effect in that regard.
1: Okay. And in terms of the actual interviews, how are, I assume that a lot of that have moved into online or phone interviews. How is that different from in-person interviews?
2: Well, some candidates have found it um, easy enough to deal with without, you know, going to a face-to-face interview. So they've been interviewing over Zoom, uh, using Teams and, and other social media platforms. So that that's still kind of taking place. But what has happened in, in most instances is a telephone interview will will start proceedings, and if after the telephone interview there's there's uh, a way forward for both candidate and clients, then the the Zoom meeting is is then introduced. But it hasn't. I wouldn't say it's hindered um, anyone recruiting that's had to take people on.
1: Okay, that's interesting. And do you have any advice for fresh graduates if they have to do like a Zoom or, or a phone interview that's different from a face-to-face interview?
2: Um, <laughs> make sure you're prepared and make sure that everything, you know, is, it technically is, is as it should be, as we've just found out. Um, and yeah, present yourself as you would do if you're an interview. So dress appropriately. It's still a first impression. Regardless if you're you're at home and, and they may be at home and, and, and in casual clothes, but it's still a first impression, so that still counts. So make sure that your your background behind you. So if it's a Zoom call where the video is is taking place, make sure that whatever behind you is gonna reflect you as well. Um, there's been instances in the past where people haven't realized exactly what is behind them. So just double check that um and again present yourself as if you were in a face-to-face interview
1: okay that's that's good advice so as mentioned a moment ago pwc identified mechanical engineering as one of the five engineering fields that have hard to fill vacancies for both smes and large companies in your opinion why is that is that what you're seeing right now
2: in regards to mechanical engineering specifically i think all engineering disciplines, I mean it's it's over the years that I've been doing it and I've been recruiting for, for over 20 years now. Um not just mechanical but electrical and, and, and other engineering disciplines is is <clears throat> tends to be a sought-after area, whether it be in across all different sectors, so it could be power, rail, defence or, or what have you. Um so for for graduates that perhaps a little bit are cautious about what the market may be excuse me, there will be an opportunity there at some point.
1: The type of engineering they're doing early on in the career, or do you think it's beneficial to do that later on to specialise?
2: Well, interestingly, I've been talking to a number of people within the, the specialist areas that I work in, which is technical safety and human factors. And the key element that when I've sort of spoken to people that are uh, authorities in that area have all said, that any hands-on experience that you can gather is going to, to, to be of huge benefit. So if you're a mechanical engineer that wants to work within, you know, the power sector, then trying to find a position either with a, a consultancy a contractor or even an end user, and having trying to get some hands-on experience actually at the plant. Um, you know, on-site and, and actually seeing what you're involved in, whether you want to be in design or, or what have you, then the, the hands-on real-time experience is going to be key. So internships, apprenticeships and stuff like that is is, is good. Um, it's not always possible. Um, but in regards to your question on should they pick out exactly what they, what they want to do and, and be specialist in, I think there's a case for both. And I appreciate that sounds like I'm sitting on the fence, but I've seen CVs over the years where people have been very much into companies where they they spend time in different disciplines and then they have time to come out and actually say, that's where I want to go. Whereas there have been some people that that pick out a niche within a discipline very early on because it's what they enjoy um, and what they want to do and build a career in. And they'll stay in that very much that vertical line. So, you know, I wouldn't say there's a one-size-fits-all. It's down to the individual and and, and what's going to work best for them and and the opportunity in the company that they're getting with initially.
1: Great. Amar, do you have anything to add on this?
3: Um, Just as a recent graduate, you say hands-on experience is quite important when applying for newer roles. Um, But how does someone stand out when they haven't had the opportunities to do so in the past? Um, for example they might have not taken a placement year or the only hands-on experience they have to show that done at university as all the other applicants would have so how do you
2: stand out in that regard um a good question and it's very difficult as you say if you if you haven't had the opportunity to get that hands-on experience the the, what i would say to any graduates that are trying to find opportunities with companies and, and set themselves above the rest because as we all know especially at the moment for, for every position there's probably going to be 30 40% more applicants than there were this time last year so trying to to make sure that you're above you know or in the first 10% is to structure your CV in the right way any any lifetime or real time experiences whether it be related or non-related to your your actual work is also important when people are going through CVs, and I can't speak for every client, but most of my clients, when they're filtering through CVs, yes, you know there are some that look at certain universities and certain degrees and, and they'll also go back to A-levels and, and, and even GCSEs in some points. So make sure that that information is clear as well. But also they want to know that you've got the right personality and that's very difficult to put on a CV. But, but this is where interests outside of work does actually start to build a bit of a picture about you as well. And I would say there, there's, there's an importance. So any clubs or any societies or any committees that you have belong to or been involved with at university, make sure that's on the CV as well because that will start building the layers that when someone reading through a CV, it's not just what qualifications you've got, where you've been, but it's also a bit about what you've done, how you've reacted and interacted with people and any kind of personal skills that you may have developed through that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting.
1: Absolutely, really good. Um, so do you want to give us a perspective from a research point of view? Is now a good time to do research or get a PhD?
3: I feel like the only downside of kind of getting into the research or PhD um, area now is funding. Um, There have been restrictions on funding because obviously companies aren't carrying out projects as they would purely because of uncertainty Uh, but at the end of the day I think a PhD or a research project is always good to do um, as long as you're interested in it and it's something you want to do regardless of um, what funding method you may have Um, so yeah I feel like having a PhD or doing a PhD is always a a good step to take if you are interested in a certain field and have the passion to kind of continue and uh, push
1: through it. Right. And you're doing a part-time master's at the moment. Yep. Can, you share with, can you share with us your experience on doing that? Are universities doing online learning and how does that impact the student experience? Um,
3: so obviously university is massively about the people around you. Uh, interacting with the people around you, learning from the people around you, which can be a lot harder um, learning online because it's online lectures, uh, tutorials, etc. So it kind of feels more independent. Um, I feel like it can go either way, uh, depending on the person uh, you are. It can either work in your favor or against you. If you're a person that bounces off other people, it might be a little bit harder for the online learning aspect. Um, But if you enjoy the freedom or working on your own, um, you're able to put more time into that master's or whatever degree you're pursuing. Um, So it it can work either way. Um, Personally, I bounce off other people and prefer other people around me when I'm learning. Um, So it was a little bit trickier um, doing the module earlier in the year. Um, but it's there's no big difference because the lectures are the exact same the tutorials are the exact same I guess there's just more responsibility on you paying more attention with the distractions around you and kind of getting the tutorial work done um, and you're likely to complete more of the work um, in the tutorial uh, because you are kind of at home with no distractions
1: Great, thank you very much Let's now move to the topic of furlough and unemployment. Firstly, what is furlough? Furlough is a temporary leave of absence. In the UK, the government pays part of the salary for workers under the furlough scheme. At its peak, more than a quarter of UK workers will furlough. Many people around the world might experience something similar. A YouGov survey finds that young people under the age of 25 is more likely to be furloughed or unemployed due to the pandemic. Job cuts are also making headlines in the news. This is impacting the class of 2020 in different ways. For example, education leavers this year might decide to stay in education longer to avoid entering the difficult job market. Some might decide to retrain in the different sector that is projected to have more vacancies in a post-COVID economy. Now, let's get some advice and insights from our guest. Many of our listeners at home on the follow scheme might be feeling unsure or even nervous about their continued employment. But is it all bad news? So do gaps in CVs put candidates in a disadvantaged position? And how should people overcome this, Alan?
2: If there's a gap in a CV, so long as there's a a healthy explanation, and if someone has been furloughed or been made redundant due to the pandemic, then potential employers will will absolutely understand that. So it's not an issue. Um, so I wouldn't worry about that at all, really. So, so gaps in CVs aren't really going to to make um, any difference to an application. So I, I, I don't see that being an issue.
1: Okay, that's good news. And for those who do not have extensive interview experience, what other tips you can give them?
2: Interviews are extremely important, as I was mentioning earlier. That the the first impressions are so key to that person you know getting the job a lot of instances but certainly graduate level as a filtering process that goes through before interviews so they already like you so have that in the back of your mind and it's important to go into an interview with a positive frame of mind which isn't always easy there's always nerves and that you're never going to be able to get rid of all the nerves and it's good because that kind of keeps you a bit sharp The main thing is to be yourself. Don't try and be something that you're not. And if you're asked a question that you don't know the answer to, then say, "Sorry, I I don't know the answer to that." However, I I might come back to it. It may come to me. It's something that I should know, and I'll answer it a bit later. But don't try and bumble your way through an answer that you don't know. Um, That's that's key. Try and put over your personality whilst you're being interviewed. Um, I'm not saying that you should start telling jokes or anything like that, or singing a song, but It's important that you're being yourself, um, that they can see into your personality as well as your technical ability. Um, Prepare, preparation is key. So make sure that you've done all the research that you need to do before the interview takes place. Ask for any information or ask if you can, the person who's gonna be taking the interview, what process or anything that is gonna be format that's gonna take place during the interview, what kind of questions they're going to be. You're not always going to get the answers to that. So that's, that's it. But if you can, it's going to put you ahead of the game. Um, ask questions after the interview has taken place. How did I do? Could I have done any better? And make sure that if you are interested, make sure that you say that you're interested. And that's in a way, not not as a, as a desperation, but just say, look, I've really enjoyed this interview from what you told me about your company, about your business, about your team and divisions. It sounds like a place that I'd really be keen to work, and that's not being desperate. That's just stating your intention. So it's important to do that as well.
1: Interesting, Amar, Do you want to say something?
3: Um, yeah, just had a quick question uh, to Alan. Um, you mentioned like prior uh, interview prep. Um, for example, as an engineering candidate, candidate, what um, research would you advise someone to do? Would it just be the projects that that business is conducting, or uh, some more
2: detail um, in other areas I think have a have a look at the website. have a look at the projects that that company has has worked on before, but I don't think there's much they're not going to expect you to know the ins and outs of their company they're they're interviewing you because they think that you could be someone who would add value to the business over a period of time. It's not like they're interviewing somebody who's a director level. Who they would expect to know absolutely everything at graduate level, it's more of a fact finding information um, process for them. But if you can prove that you're prepared for that interview by doing research on the company, doing some research on the projects, and then if those questions, if they do come up in the interview, then you've done your pr- you've done your preparation correctly. Okay, that sounds really good. Thanks.
1: Good, and we've talked about virtual interviews earlier. Do you think the move to virtual interviews would be a short-term pandemic response, or do you think they're here to stay? And do you see them as beneficial or detrimental to minorities, for example, older workers, female engineers, or BAME engineers?
2: Um, I don't see it being as detrimental to to anybody, whether it be, you know, from... Age, I don't think, will we'll come into it. And, and you know, that people should know now that you're not allowed to put – when you're submitting a CV, for example, I'm not allowed to put the date of birth on there um, because there was an Age Discrimination Act that, that came through years ago. Um, and there are lots of, of companies now that have, you know, diversity policies. Um, but my clients, and I can hand on the heart say, will take – the person on based on whether they are the right fit regardless and that, and that includes disabilities as well depending on obviously the type of job but I can hand on heart say that the 99.9% of my clients will take on a person based on whether they are a fit for the company and whether they have the technical understanding whether it be a graduate level or not of, of what they need for that company. Um, Sorry, the first part of the question, can you remind me what that was?
1: Uh, Do you think virtual interviews are here to stay?
2: Yes, I do. I do, actually. And I think that it's going to be quite a good thing. I don't know whether or not it will be a case of everyone taking part in them, but I think it it saves a lot of time. Um, Certainly for candidates going to interviews, although it is always good and and nice to go and see an office or go to a plant um, or go to a site to, to get a feel for the company or the project that you may be working on, so I think that's key. And where at all possible, I think that we will try and get back to that as soon as possible, as soon as you know the government and COVID allows. But I think in the first instance, I think uh, whereas before the face to face was recognised as the first interview, I think that now we'll, we will start seeing a lot of companies using video conferencing as the first interview.
1: Thank you, Ellen. Matthew, um, we've talked about COVID accelerating the transformation of economy. And going back to current trends, there will be a skills gaps in many engineering sectors such as data science, software, industry 4.0, and cybersecurity. Which engineering sector do you see major growths coming from? And from a training perspective, what are your advice for people who want to retrain or reskill?
4: Um, yeah, thank you. Um... I think that the, the main growth that I see and looking at reports as well are in the new job areas that are driven by technology or the advances in technology. Um, you know, with, with COVID, we're seeing advances in those technologies. You know, people are using virtual meetings and conferencing a lot more than they did six months ago. So engineering is sort of following that same sort of trend. So um, I think it's becoming really important to develop skills in areas like sustainability um, and energy transition. So, things like emerging renewables like wind, um, marine, so hydro, um, low carbon, um, so hydrogen transport and energy efficiency type of um, industries, and then industry 4.0, like you mentioned. So, we're looking at things like data analytics, artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, cybersecurity sort of comes under all of those umbrellas as well. Um, So... I think as an example, I suppose it also depends on where you live. So I'm based in Aberdeen in Scotland. So I see sort of what the Scottish region does a little bit more than what the, the national um, skills changes are. But a report that came out last year in 2019 by Apito said that by 2025, the oil and gas sector needs to attract 25,000 new people across the UK and four and a half thousand of those will be completely new roles that don't currently exist requiring new competencies. So what we're seeing is some of the jobs that are going to be around in the next five years don't even exist yet, or they're being developed. So we're seeing a move from what we call transactional activities, so sort of the, the administrative, repetitive sort of works, um, and moving towards strategic activities, so analysing data, machine, le- oh, <coughs> excuse me, machine learning, um, Internet of Things, so. My my advice when you're looking at training for future, firstly, you've got to get the foundations and the fundamental skills right. So whether that's a university degree, whether it's a short course, whether it's just doing your own training. But then what is it that you like to do? What are you interested in? And what do you think is going to be something in the future? So possibly one of those areas.
1: Okay. And I think that's quite That's encouraging for people who might be furloughed or unemployed at the moment, that they can see this area of growth. Um, How how should they utilize the time at home at the moment and what resources should they be exploiting?
4: Uh, I think that this is the perfect opportunity to look at what it is you really like to do. What is it that interests you for your job? Um, You know, some some people may have been made redundant or lost their jobs or put on furlough and have reduced working hours. So start exploring some of the areas that you might be interested in. Um, If you're looking for resources, there's a huge amount of free resources on offer at the moment from places all over. Um, You know, as an example, the institution of mechanical engineers has um, regular webinars and they put that on the webinar hub, um, you know, The IMechE also does training courses, so do a whole lot of other providers. But there's a lot of free information on the internet as well. So you can go and sign up for free courses, you know, throughout the world. Universities are offering free courses. You can do taster courses. You can do LinkedIn learning. You can do online Udemy courses. So there's a huge amount of things that you can do just yourself, and it doesn't have to cost you a lot of money. So it's a good good time to sort of test out what you like and what you're good at.
1: Okay. And earlier, you've mentioned that companies are moving away from transactional tasks and more into you know, different areas. Some, some of the jobs mm-hmm. don't even exist today. So do you think there should be more policy support for reskilling?
4: I think if you look at what the policies are at the moment, so um, you know the National Engineering Policy Center, which is sort of led by the Royal Academy of Engineering and a whole lot of different other um, engineering organizations, their main focus is when you're talking about reskilling, which is you know reskilling somebody for a new skill. What they're not currently doing, their focus is on things like career professional development and funding and getting the younger people into STEM activities, so science, technology, engineering, and maths. So I think that the focuses are quite you know the right areas, mm-hmm. but I don't think it should. be in my opinion it should all be up to policy to drive it. I think a lot of the onus is on the, the person to develop their own skills. Um, you know, if you're working, ask your employer if you can do training in different areas. If you're not working, as I said, there's a whole lot of different free resources that you can do for your own training. Um Hamar and Alan were talking before about doing, you know, PhDs or different things. So I don't, I don't think it's, in my opinion, it's all up to policy to support it. I think that you know the organisations, um, businesses have a lot of responsibility as much as the, the individual.
1: Great, thank you very much. With a lot of uncertainty in the job market, many are rethinking their career options. You might be in automotive. Worry about the OLEV proposed ban on internal combustion engines in 2035. Or you may be in aviation and aerospace, seeing a rapid slowdown in travel, which may ripple outwards and cause unemployment instability for years to come. Engineers might also look at the more compassionate engineering that came as a result of the pandemic. Respirators, changes to buildings, automated sanitising or the race to develop a vaccine and want to move into these new fields. In this section, we aim to explore things that might come across people's minds and look to the future. We will be discussing working from home, professional development, online training, and diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Okay, I will start with Alan. How can people continue to develop themselves professionally?
2: I think, depending on the company that they're working for and the opportunities they get within that business, it's always important to try and develop themselves um, and and keep on pushing themselves and, and, and learning and being part of, of their community that they're in, whether it be mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, it could be controls, it could be absolutely anything. Always try and make sure that you're trying to develop yourself. Um, and, you know, talking earlier about stuff being available online, there's so much available. I won't start naming websites because I'll probably get them wrong. But, you know, for for any engineer that's that's wanting to progress and develop their first protocol should be with their their manager the person who they report to and and their mentors within the business um and there are some people there are you know there's, there's engineers that I've placed over the years and worked with over the years that are happy being at a certain level so they get to a certain you know technical depth and that's where they stay there are others who will continue to keep on developing and progressing um, regardless and it's again that's a trait it's a personality trait thing so I don't I wouldn't size, say there's a one-size-fits-all um, um, solution but there's there's learning off other people and touching on that point I think this is where perhaps the the graduates will maim out at this moment in time because of lockdown and COVID that they're not they're unable to be working in an office alongside other people and and, and getting that experience so that would be interesting to see how companies are going to deal with that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And so, so if I can say something there too, um,
4: Alan, that I think that professional development as a professional engineer is now a requirement. So if you're a member of the institution of mechanical engineers or someone with the um, engineering council, you actually have to, um, to stay a member, actively, continually professional develop yourself. Um, and a lot of people get, you know, caught up in, well, what is CPD? Um, do I have to pay to do training courses and things for that? It can be in anything that keeps you up to date with what's happening in your profession or, you know, getting involved. So it can be reading magazines that have come out, reading books, doing online training courses, watching YouTube videos, going to, um, presentations, going to conferences, all those sorts of things. So, when we talk about professional development, it doesn't have to be formal development. And as I said earlier, it's, I think the responsibility lies on the person to actually be responsible for their CPD, get the companies to help them out, and get you know as much as you can out of that. So, Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah,
3: just touching on that. Um, we are obviously in COVID times right now, so some of us are working from home a lot more than normal. Um, so I feel like this is a really good time to develop yourselves because let's say you save on your commuting time every day um, and you have the comfort of kind of going straight from your desk uh, into your house. So I feel like saving that commuting time can be used towards developing yourself um, and learning a new skill that you might not be able to do whilst working um, in the office and having to commute back. And then by the time you get back, you're more tired, et cetera. So I feel like now a really good time to take the opportunity to do so. Um, another thing that Matthew said with regards to, it doesn't need to be sort of, um, academic, uh, development. Uh, it can just be getting involved in things going on around you. Um, at work, there's always going to be someone doing something, um, whether it be like STEM activities or just outreach, um, or for example, IMechE events there's always going to be someone getting involved. So I guess it's uh, using your own initiative to kind of reach out to those people if you do want to get involved um, and just try to do as much as possible, obviously, uh, within your own means. But yeah, there's always something going on. and I feel like it's always worth getting involved um, in any capacity you can.
4: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you could probably join up a webinar every single day of the week if you wanted to, that there's that many webinars that are going on in the industry. Um, you know, if you're on LinkedIn and connect with as many people as you can and just get involved in conversations and, you know, there's tons of events. So, yeah, just it's as much as you're prepared to get involved in is what you'll get out of it.
3: 100%. And, for example, for STEM activities especially, um, we're, we're in a time where we need more STEM uh, sort of graduates or just people getting into STEM. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it's going to be very hard or very rare where you'll want to get involved in a STEM activity and do some outreach. Um, and your manager is going to say, no, you need to carry on doing whatever you're doing because STEM, everyone understands the importance of STEM, especially now. Um, and I feel like it's really easy and very, very rewarding to get involved in STEM. Um, I feel like working with children um, with whatever age and just trying to spark an interest um, in an element of engineering or just an element of work that you do, letting them know what you do uh, is, is massively rewarding. I don't think you can get that from working uh, a nine to five in the office every day.
1: Interesting. And what about the benefits for professional accreditation? Um,
4: so yeah, I could probably answer this one. I think that Professional accreditation, if you're talking about getting accredited through the institution um, reverse, rather than a qualification from academia or something, um, professional accreditation, you know, a lot of the things that I'm talked about there is about being part of a community, about being part of a group of people and peers that have similar interests to you and can share knowledge, but also that you can learn from them. So you know, as being um part of that that group, so whether you're a member of the institution or a chartered or an incorporated or an EngTech or something like that, you've got a lot of access to um, CPD tools. You've got uh, the library um, where you can go and look at online library books. Eventually you can get back and visit the library down at London if you wanted to. Um, And there's a lot of support about things, but also, like I talked about there, it's about joining with the people in your area. So every area has a committee. And they have regular events, so the young members panels will have um, events that are relevant to the younger members, so about getting jobs, how to write CVs, meeting employers, and networking things. Whereas some of the other committee events will have lectures and presentations, field trips, and things. So, you know, there's there's a huge upside to being accredited um, through the institution, whereas through acad- academia, that's more of being recognised for a job role that you have the relevant skills and then you need to demonstrate your competencies either through being chartered or through on-the-job um, assessment.
1: Totally agree with that as a chartered engineer and part of a young members board, so <laughs> totally agree. Um, let's, go on, let's go on to talk about online training. Yeah. So over lockdown, online trainings are adapting very quickly to the new normal. Do you think um, they are becoming more accessible, uh, geographic and demographic-wise, and what trends are you seeing right now?
4: Um, I, I think, I think you know, the online training's been around for a very long time, so what you call e-learning, where you've got your on-demand sort of um, sessions, you know, they've been around for a very long time, and some people like them and some don't. Um, With the the last six months and changes, people are a little bit more acclimatized to sitting in front of a computer now and looking at online training, online webinars, online sessions, talking to friends and family even. So I think people are a bit more accepting of doing things online. But on the flip side of that, you've also got the people who are doing the courses, their skills have improved really quickly into being able to deliver really effective online formats of training. Um, it's not just a matter of having a face-to-face course and then, all right, I'm going to do it online and, you know, we can deliver online because it's really hard to keep people engaged for long amounts of time. So if you look at what the institution are doing, they've reformatted most of their courses for live virtual delivery. um, So you can do them face-to-face or virtual, um, depending on what you're interested in. And they've sort of been rewritten for, you know, things like duration and frequency, I mean, I've done courses where I've done them online for eight hours a day for three days in a row, and it's really hard to keep people engaged for that amount Mm -hmm. of time um, depending on the format. So, you know, it's surprising that people still want to do a full-day event online. So I think that that's seen a big change, but the benefit for people now are that they can join up a training course that can be run from anywhere. So we're no longer restricted to a local training course or, you know, if we've got a bit more of a budget, we could maybe fly down to London or fly to somewhere and or fly up one of the trainers to your facilities. We've now got a huge amount of choice where we can get, you know, the cha- training that's relevant for us in your know, work-life skills um, are really becoming a, a trend at the moment. So how do you balance your work and your life, home life activities? And as I mentioned before, things about like digita- digitization and connectivity, that's what's sort of driving this change. So um, technology-based courses, you know, even things like computer programming and data analytics and those sorts of things.
1: Absolutely. Really interesting and very insightful uh, session today. So thank you all to our panels and thank you for listening.
4: Thanks very much. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
1: Before we go, I'd like to encourage those listening to investigate a number of services the IMAKey has to offer at this time, including reduced fees for those out of work and a wealth of support and training. Firstly, the membership surgeries that are happening weekly. There are free events online allowing you one-to-one time with an IMAKey business development expert. Visit the IMAKey near you page or Google iMakey membership surgeries. There are also career webinars that will be recorded and available on the IMAQ YouTube channel. In addition, please also seek out Entret Life, a virtual careers and learning event for graduate and young engineers taking place on the 30th of October. It is the UK's first multi-sector virtual career fairs for the early careers in the engineering industry. It's an all-day event covering COVID, diversity and inclusion, developing skills, and is supported by organisations such as ARUP, BAE Systems, Cranfield University, and the RAF. Finally, if you've been impacted by the COVID crisis or any of the issues we have discussed today, please reach out to the Key Support Network. The Support Network was established in 1913 and is a personal and practical support charity for our members and their families. They can help with everything from employment coaching and CV writing, as well as resources for dyslexia and autism to depth advice, financial aid and counselling. If you wish to know more, please email supportnetwork at imake.org. All that remains is for me to thank my guests, Matthew Leske, Amagohil, and Alan Carroll, and thank you for listening.
0: That's all for this month. In the next episode, we will be exploring the opportunities and challenges in the world of electric vehicles and batteries, we will be focusing on the imac e's International EV Batteries 2020 Conference, which takes place on the 11th and 12th of November, and discussing its theme of cost-effective engineering for hybrid and electric vehicles. And my special guest will be none other than fully charged host, EV ambassador, and our favourite deep space mechanoid, Robert Llewellyn, who will be sharing his thoughts on Tesla Battery Day, electrification of mass transit, and barriers to technology adoption in the automotive industry. You've been listening to Impulse to Innovation, the Institution of Mechanical Engineers podcast. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to share any news or any feedback with us, then please email us, podcast at imechee.org. All the information on this episode can be found in the episode notes.